uh, has fallen and has broken, I'm sorry, again, her ankle and, and her pelvis. Wow. So uh, definitely we need, to, we need to pray for her. Uh, if you would, let's just bow and let's take her to the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, you're the one that in your wisdom allowed Susie to be bone of bone and flesh of flesh. And you're the one, as you have healed others uh, in this congregation with broken hips and broken pelvises and ankles. Lord, I know that you, uh, as always, you hold the design and the patent upon Susie's life. And I pray that you would work through physicians, doctors, and clinicians to strengthen and to heal what's happened. Father, I ask that you encourage her with the spirit of your presence, that you encamp your angels about her to protect her spirit. Father, I ask that you would relieve the pain, and I ask that you would just surround her as well with people that love her, even as you are surrounding her with our prayers. Lord, I just ask you would do your work that you do best as the great physician now, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me welcome you once again uh, to one of the last Sundays of summer uh, here at SCC. Uh, It is always great uh, to be able to celebrate with each of you. And I've got to tell you, uh, since our last series finished on Let Hope Rise, uh, just as I was excited about that series, I'm excited about this one as well. And I had no idea as I was thinking about this uh, and planning a series called Shoes, that there would be a collection of shoes <laughs> that we would be taking up a- as well. But it's just one of those God-designed things, I think. Uh, next week, uh, FYI, my family will be on vacation. But uh, Steve Henderson from the CRA is going to be here. And um, if you remember Mr. Henderson being here last time, you, you know he brought a fantastic message. And I had so many great reports. And, oh, I wish everyone was here. And you don't want to miss that. So make sure that you're here to encourage him and be encouraged by him next week. Well, as always today, I get to talk about my favorite person of all time. The coolest one who ever walked the planet, and his name is Jesus. And I hope that I can introduce him to you in a way that you can go, you know, wow, I never thought about him in that way before. And if you already know him, then hopefully through this uh, course of these next few weeks, you'll get to know him a little bit better and fall deeper in love with who Jesus is. Looking at the life of Jesus, uh, I have to tell you, has always revolutionized my life. I've said it before that Jesus not only came to lay down his life so that we could be forgiven and free and live forever, and that is a huge deal. I mean, we know 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. But he also came to show us what God is really like. I think just like Philip and the other disciples, we say the same thing they said in John 14.8, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Uh, Through all the things we go through, if we can just see him, that'll be more than enough. When I was 12 years old, I began to read and I began to study the Bible, and it totally changed my perspective on who God was. And let me tell you why. Because up to that point in the Southern Baptist Church that I was a part of then, I always thought God was angry with me. I always thought he was ticked off with me, and and God was presented as this hellfire and brimstone kind of God who was disappointed with me. 
I was raised to think that God was disgusted by me. And then when I started to hear the things that Jesus actually said, and I saw the way that he intentionally engaged with people and unconditionally loved them just the way that they were, that it began to reveal to me just how inclusive God's love really is. It revealed to me that that Jesus hung out with all kinds of people who were quote-unquote undesirable. In fact, it showed me that there was really no one who was undesirable in God's eyes. In fact, the people who were least like Jesus, they liked Jesus, (laughs) and Jesus liked them. And it started to give me hope that Jesus might love me too. And in this series, Shoes, uh, it is my prayer that as we slip our feet into the shoes of different people who encountered Jesus in this world, that you and I both would be reminded of the kind of love that he wants to give to each of us in this life that we have. I think it was Forrest Gump, who was sitting on a a bus stop bench, who said, Mom always says there's an awful lot you can tell about a person by their shoes. Where they're going, where they've been. I've worn lots of shoes. I bet if I think about it real hard, I could remember my first pair of shoes. Mama said they'd take me anywhere. She said they was my magic shoes. Sorry about that. I just kind of transport myself into that movie. Uh, But what do your shoes say about you? Where have you been? How did you get there? Where are you going? You know, if you look around the room at, at everybody's feet this morning, you see we got a lot of different kind of shoes on. Some of you, you like colorful shoes, and you are trying to make a statement this morning that's bold. Others of your shoes say, I'm more reserved. Uh, some of you, your shoes say, I'm on my feet all day long. Some of you that are athletes, your, your shoes say, I could run forever. What do your shoes say about you? The shoes that I'm wearing today are are some of my favorite shoes. They're comfortable, slip-on dress shoes. And they say, you know, that I'm into simplicity, and I'm into comfort, and I really like these shoes. But I know as much as I like the shoes that I'm wearing, from time to time, occasionally, I need to step into your shoes. Because when we all do that, well, we become a little bit more like Jesus. We become kinder and gentler. We become less judgmental, less cynical. We become more empathetic. And again, that's why for the next couple of weeks, we're going to slip our feet into the shoes of different people who come before Jesus. And we're going to see some real people with real doubts, with some real problems and real issues, some real pains and real struggles. And I hope that you'll be captivated by Jesus the way that they were. Because he sees deep into their deepest need. And hopefully like them, we can all walk away a little bit changed. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to try uh, next week or the week after next, we're going to try on some stilettos. Not, not me personally, but we're going to talk about that. I have no idea how you ladies walk in those things. Uh, the following week, we're going to slip into a pair of worn out work boots. Now I'm comfortable with that. And then we're going to step into some Uh, shiny wingtips in the final week. But today we're going to start by slipping our feet into a pair of these, a pair of sandals, a pair of flip-flops as they are. Anybody rocking a pair of these this morning? Anybody wearing sandals or or flip-flops? You see, these are a year-round staple if you happen to live in the south or out on the west coast. 
Uh, here in Ohio, you might get the opportunity to wear these for six months or six days, depending upon the weather, which is so unpredictable here, right? But these kind of shoes, they represent a person who, who's, who's simple, who's kind of carefree and creative. Maybe they love being outdoors kind of kicking back in the Adirondack, you know. They love being nonconformist, a free spirit type, so to speak. And that would certainly be said about a guy in Scripture known as John the Baptist. Like Jesus, he would die when he was young as well. When he was around 30, he would be executed by a cruel politician. But unlike Jesus, there's not a whole lot that's been written about him. And I know this might sound like a huge exaggeration, but I believe that prior to the arrival of Jesus, this flip-flop wearing man was the greatest man who ever lived. Now I know his resume, it may, may not be as impressive as other people. He never led some great group of people. He, he never conquered any land. He never conquered a foreign army. Never wrote a bestseller. He never won an Oscar or an Emmy or a Grammy or a Nobel Peace Prize. And he certainly didn't have the look uh, that typifies greatness. But I want you to see what Jesus said about this guy, this flip-flop wearing guy. In Luke 7, 28, Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Now that leads me to wonder, what was it about this man that elicited such praise from the lips of Jesus? What does it take to live that kind of noticeable life, that kind of stellar life? What does it take to be called great in Jesus' eyes? So for the next few moments, I'm going to invite you to just to slip your toes into John's sandals. Uh, slip into his flip-flops and see if we can learn a little bit of what it means to be great in Jesus' eyes. And I, I think it takes one thing to start us on that path this morning. It, it, it means that we are content to be God's limited edition. Be God's limited edition. I think one of the qualities that Jesus loved about John the Baptist is that he just tried to be who God created him to be. He embraced his originality. He was a man that was comfortable in his own skin. He was one of those one-of-a-kind, limited-edition individuals, unique in character, unique in a lot of different ways. I mean, starting with his arrival in this world. You ever think about all the Bible characters that have strange birth stories? You know, of course, Jesus is the most infamous, born of a virgin, born in a stable. Think about Moses. Remember him? He was almost murdered at his birth, and his parents sent him adrift on the Nile River, and he's picked up by a princess in a basket coated with pitch. Guys like Isaac and Samson and Samuel the prophet, they're all born to women who struggled with infertility for years. And that's kind of John's story. He's born to parents, but his parents, they're really too old to be having kids. I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth, his parents, they would be buying pampers with their social security check, okay? And it didn't make a lot of sense. They'd given up hope until one day they received a message from God. And this is in Luke 1, verse 13. It says there, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. To which Zechariah responds, 
right. <laughs> that's a good one, God. Like that's ever going to happen. In verse 20, since he responded that way, the angel said, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent. You'll be unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at their proper time. He said, I'm telling you, Zechariah, this is going to happen. But you're going to have to be silent for nine months and wait. And that's the way it was. Elizabeth became pregnant and he couldn't tell anybody about it. And when the child was born, the family and friends, they all gathered around to ask Elizabeth, so what are you going to name him? He's so cute. And naming the kid after the father was kind of the tradition. And Elizabeth says, we're going to name him John. And the people are all shocked. Why? I mean, there's nobody in your family named John. He should be Zechariah Jr. Uh, We're going to ask Zechariah because we're sure he's not going to be happy about this. And so we see in Luke 1 verse 62, so they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. Now remember, he can't speak. He's not deaf. (laughs) But you know how it is sometimes. People kind of overstretch. And so they're making gestures to him. And it says he motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote his name is John. And instantly, the Bible says, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. And awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. So you see, John, he had a pretty unique birth, but but then again, so is yours. Each one of you, I don't know anything about really your birth for most of you. I don't know if you were born in a hospital or if you were born at home with a midwife. I don't know if you had one of those water births in this world, if you were born in the back seat of a taxi. I don't know. But I do know this. Your birth was unlike anybody else's because you are unlike anybody else. I've always loved the way King David marveled about this in Psalm 139. He says this in verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched over me as I was formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the darkness of the womb. You know, I hope you know this morning before you leave this place that God delights in watching you be you. God loves you the way you are. He, he loves your nose. He loves your ears, your lips, your eye color, your hair or your lack thereof. <laughs> he loves your wrinkles, your acne, your bulging biceps, your bulging love handles. He loves your voice. He loves your accent. He loves your walk, your limp, your laugh. For some of you, the way you snort when you laugh, he loves you. You're unique. His workmanship is marvelous, and there's no one quite like you. Now, we're all in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus from the inside out. But even that allows us uh, to, to become more of what God designed us to be uniquely in this life. I love the way John Ortberg said this, famous author uh, for Christianity. He says this, when you allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of you, you don't just become holier, you become you-ier. <laughs> I like that. He's saying you just become God's best version of you. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, 
that we read about in Scripture, it all originates from the same, same place, from the Holy Spirit of God. But the way that patience, the way that gentleness and love and goodness and joy and peace comes out of you, it's a little bit differently in the way it flows out of me. We're all unique that way. And it was certainly unique the way it flowed through John the Baptist. Jesus talked about John's uniqueness in Luke seven twenty four when he said this. What kind of man did you go out in the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by, by every breath of the wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury, they're found in the palaces. And Mark 1, 6 says his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt about his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. I mean, John is just a different kind of dude. He's this nonconformist, this huge contrast to the religious leaders of the day. They're all dressed in, in the absolute finest. And John... I mean, he's dressed in stuff he got from the thrift shop down the road, okay? little Macklemore there for you. I, I mean, he was dressed in stuff that, that no one else wore. He was strong. He was weathered. He's kind of this outdoor guy. He eats this low-carb, high-protein diet, right? Probably had crazy long hair. I, I don't know. But he was definitely countercultural. And he's definitely unique in just about every way. And this limited edition man had a very unique calling on his life, too. Look what it says in Mark 1, verse 1. This is how Mark begins his gospel. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the roads for him. This messenger... Mark says, was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they'd repented of their sins and turned to God for forgiveness. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, they went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Here's this unique guy with a unique calling and a unique lifestyle preparing the way for the Lord. And just like John, did you know that each of you, me included, we have a unique calling as well? Now, we've got different gifts. I recognize that. We've got different personalities and abilities. We, we're in different seasons of our life, perhaps. And we've all got different doors of opportunity right in front of us. But right now, maybe the, the calling that God has placed upon your life is just to be a great dad. Maybe the calling upon your life is, is just to be an outstanding mother or a grandparent who's raising grandchildren. That could be God's unique calling on your life. And let me tell you from experience, anytime you rub shoulders with a young person or a child, it's a priceless calling. Some of you right now, God's calling you to be a college student and to be the best one that you can be to be the best worker that you can be or the, the best athlete that you can be on the soccer or football or cross-country team that you're a part of. And maybe God's calling you to impact the spirits of those that, that you compete with. Some of you right now, you're living out your calling by working in a department store or in a bank or a factory. 
Maybe you're working in an office or, or you're living out your calling right now by caring for some elderly parents or maybe a sick loved one. Some of you are feeling like your calling on life is, is just to bring healing and hope to an underdeveloped part of the world. I have one friend who recently uh, returned from Italy and Spain, and, and she has a passion for working with girls that are caught up in the sex trade. And I pray for her. I mean, whatever your calling is, it's unlike anybody else's. And just be grateful, friends, for the gifts that God has given you and the unique opportunities he places before you. And when he does that, whether you're serving your calling as a mother, a father, or a worker, whatever it is, use them to prepare the way for Jesus to enter somebody's life. John's unique calling centered around a a very unique message. You know, every time before I bring the message, I pray. And there are a lot of things that I'll pray in my day and in my life. But one of the things that I will pray before I, I teach or preach is very simple. It's, Father, I don't know how you're going to pull this off, but may this message comfort the disturbed and disturb the comforted. That's definitely what John's message was. It did both. I mean, we learned that the city of Jerusalem, they were coming out to see him. This radical preacher coming from the desert, he's saying radical kind of things in a radical, eye-opening way, hopeful things challenging things that that nobody else was was saying. And he's so authentic. John was real, you know, and people were drawn to that authenticity. And word gets out about John and these corrupt, power-hungry, hypocritical religious leaders, the same ones who are going to come down on Jesus, they start showing up in the crowds. And when they start showing up, John throws down. I mean, he is just bold and authentic with them. And I want you to see how real this man is. Uh, This is Luke 3, 7 from the message paraphrase. When crowds of people came out for baptism because it was the popular thing to do, John exploded. Brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here by the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to deflect God's judgment? It's your life that must change, not your skins. And don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham is father. Being a child of Abraham is neither here nor there. Children of Abraham, they're a dime a dozen. God can make children from stones if he wants. I like that. What counts is your life. Is it green and blossoming? Because if it's dead wood, it goes in the fire. And the crowd asking them, then what are we supposed to do? And he says, if you've got two coats... Give one away. Do the same with your food. Taxmen also came to be baptized. (laughs) And they said, teacher, what should we do? And he told them, no more extortion. Collect only what's required by the law. The soldiers came to him and asked, what should we do? And he told them, no shakedowns, no blackmail. Be content with your rations. And the interest of the people was building. And they were all beginning to wonder, could John actually be the Messiah? You know, sometimes we, we have to courageously go against the flow. Greatness demands that. And you have to do it with wisdom, and you have to do it with a great amount of love. But sometimes speaking the truth comes with some harsh criticism in return. And yet I believe every time we open our mouth, it ought to be filled with grace. 
Mostly because we know we need grace ourselves. We need God's goodness towards us. But sometimes you've got to say things to your spouse, to your children, to your coworkers that are unpopular to say. And I know one thing. Whenever I read God's word, once I speak his word, I'm not in control of it. It's going to fall on different hearts here in different ways. I know that because as you leave, some of you, some of you, you, you just want to, you want to smack me. <laughs> and some of you want to thank me because that's what God wanted your heart to hear. It's this uncontrollable power of God. Look what it says about the word of God in Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest double-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You see, that's why I acknowledge and pray that as I, God, as you use this double-edged sword that dissects the hearts of, of the people that are here, help me to realize it, it's cutting my heart too. It wasn't easy for John to deliver his unique message in a unique way. To be that one-of-a-kind man for God's good purposes. But when God sees you being you and honoring him as his creation, it's a first step on a path to greatness. But there's something else I think that's even more significant about John's life that pleases God. And that is that, that even though all this, this great thing was happening, he didn't see himself that way. He didn't see himself as the greatest. You see, you could take this whole thing that I've, I've already said this morning, and you can go home, and you could say, hey, mom, hey, dad, or, or hey, honey, did you hear what he said? I'm a one-of-a-kind creation. I'm the way I am because God made me this way, and you're just going to have to accept it. That's not what I said. And there's not a lot of grace or humility in that. And John didn't think that way. He starts to build this crowd and suddenly he's baptizing more and more people. Some even call themselves disciples of John. And he's stirring up this dormant hope and expectation. And it's rising in people. And it says in Luke 3.15, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah and John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who's more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Here's the second thing I want you to walk out with this morning that makes people great in Jesus' eyes. And friends, this is huge. They always go low and lift high. Truly great people they go low and lift high. They, they are lousy self-promoters. They don't talk about themselves a lot. They, they don't tweet or Facebook about themselves a lot. They're not trying to convince you how great they are. They just go low and lift other people high. Not that long ago, uh, a name some of you might recognize, Perry Wallace, died. Uh, Perry Wallace was a super humble guy, and he was enormously successful in the arena of athletics. He was at the forefront of integrating college basketball in, in the South. In fact, first he was a player for Vanderbilt University, and then he stood for civil rights in, in a time in history when it wasn't uh, the popular thing to do. He did the right thing, full of integrity. He was nationally and internationally recognized for his efforts. He was highly regarded, and he received a Lifetime Achievement Award at a banquet that was held 
in his honor. I mean, they held this black tie and, and formal wear event, you know, filet mignon, all, all, all the great catering and fancy stuff. And they presented him with this huge crystal bowl with, with his uh, Lifetime Achievement Award inscribed upon it. And it was a really a great night for him, pretty cool night for his family as well. And he was so emotional and so proud that, that people actually noticed all that he'd done. Well, he went home and he told the story about uh, bringing this crystal bowl home into the house and showing it to his family. And the next thing he knew, his oblivious seventh grade son walked into the family room with that bowl full of salsa and chips. And he said, you know, I thought in the moment, we all need someone to remind us uh, to take us back down a few notches with chips and salsa as well. Wayne Smith used to quote this proverb all the time. Those who act as if they're too big for their britches will one day be exposed in the end. I like that. That's just the way it is. When people wanted to raise up John the Baptist, he was getting more and more, you know, the social media followers. They're making him more than he was by, by throwing the spotlight on him. They tried to get him to buy into his own self-importance. But he would always say something like this in Luke three twenty-eight. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He's come from above, and he's greater than anyone else. We're of this earth. We speak of earthly things, but he's come from heaven. And he's greater than anyone else. And then one day, the day that John had been waiting for arrived, he's standing out waist deep in the Jordan River baptizing people. And it says in John 1.29, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said a man comes after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. He's saying to the people, look, there he is. I told you he was coming. I've been trying to tell you I'm not the Messiah. I'm just the warm-up event. He's the main event. He's the real headliner. That's the alpha. That's the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Lamb of God. He's the promised Messiah that's here to take away your sins. And in John 3.30, he says, he must increase. I must increase decrease. And friends, that's the key to a great life. You and I have got to do the same. We've got to decrease. He has to increase. We have to continually lay our ego on the altar. Jesus not only talked about that, he demonstrated that with his own life. See, right before he was arrested and crucified, he and his disciples You remember they were hanging out in the upper room for a meal, having dinner together. And just imagine, you know, you get a bunch of guys together, the testosterone level is flowing, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus, when he comes into his kingdom, when he powers up on the Romans, you know, and establishes his kingdom, and Jesus gives them four words that have stuck in my heart from the first day I read them. He says in Matthew 20, 25, It says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Now here's the four words. 
Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and then to give his life a ransom for many. And then just hours later, Jesus will go to the cross to show us how that works. A pathway to a great life, you got to go low and lift high. And then the last thing that I see in John's life that really pleased God, that made him say that that, that's a great life right there, is that John was one who was secure in his relationship with God. He could be honest with God. And friends, I just want to challenge you today. Be honest with God. Be, be like John. John was honest. He was transparent. He was comfortable in his own skin. He did whatever God asked him to do and said whatever God was asking him to say, preparing the way for the Lord. And yet I doubt that he ever dreamt that it would end up him up or land him in prison. And from prison one day, he just gets super honest with Jesus. He's discouraged. He's down, and it says in Luke 7, the disciples of John, the Baptist, told John about everything Jesus was doing. And so John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, here's a guy who knew his purpose in life. He recognized Jesus as the Lamb of God when he saw him. He knew exactly who Jesus was and where he had come from, that he'd come from heaven. He even heard the voice of God express at Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He knew all that. And yet sitting in a cold, dark prison cell, he began to wrestle with doubt, which tells me that no matter how strong our faith is, sometimes our circumstances are just going to make us question. Scripture goes on to say that John's two disciples found Jesus and they're faithful to ask what he said. And at that time, Jesus was curing many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. He restored sight to many who were blind. And he told John's disciples, go back to John. Tell him about what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. You see, when you have this ongoing, authentic relationship with God, you can ask him or you can tell him anything. You can bring your anger. You could bring your doubt. You could bring your, your questions, your fears, your anxiety, your pain, your frustration, and just get honest with him. In fact, he expects you to. I mean, he wants us to, doesn't he? My daughter, Emma, that is here this morning again with her fiancé, she's had kind of a stirred-up start to her summer. So I'm going to share this for two different reasons, for her and for you. Uh, The first apartment she'd planned for didn't work out in Knoxville for the fall for school, and and, uh, she ended up in a place she didn't expect. her fiancé was looking for a place near uh, or between her and Johnson City where he's going to be going to school at Etsu. Uh, it didn't work out for them. And, and during her time at Milligan, before she graduated, uh, she did a class project where she crafted a psalm uh, from the Bible class. And uh, as I read this, and I kept this in the back of my prayer journal, she just got real honest with God as she, as she translated this and put this in. And, 
And, and, and I just want to invite you to do what she did. Take your mind off the circumstances and put your mind on the things of God. You know, the Psalms, if you've never read them, uh, they're raw. The Psalms are just times that people got honest with God. And here's what she wrote. Uh, this was October the 15th, 2015. Great is the Lord. There's no one greater than he. I was struggling through darkness and he provided light. I called on him in my distress and he crushed my enemies with his mighty fist. I sinned many times over and yet God was still faithful. The Lord spoke to me daily. He whispers and all weight is lifted. I like that. The people must return to God. All of his plans are to make us our best, not to suppress us. When we don't rely on the word, we're burdened with our shame. No human can rely on themselves for salvation. But God is powerful enough to dispose of everything that we have done. He smites our enemies when we rely on him. And if we do not, we're delivered into their hands. When we return to God, we're set free. For no one is like our God. When we're given comfort when we're troubled and calmed when we're persecuted. When tragedy and grief were brought upon my family, he came. And he provided guidance for us. May God bless the righteous. May he rebuke the wicked. I owe God everything. I devote my life to him daily. The Lord is wonderful and will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah to the King of Kings. Isn't that great? God's mercy is our strength. He is our shelter through the night. And maybe, maybe today you just need to get honest and raw with God the way she did the way that John did. And I just want to challenge you uh, to stand strong, knowing eternity really is yours. I saw a t-shirt on a young person one day as they walked by, and it had, uh, in, in big letters on the front, I noticed it said, live, and on the back of it, it said, die. And it was that fluorescent yellow-orange like construction workers wear. And then it had other stuff written in smaller letters. And, and when, on closer inspection, you know, I thought, what is that all about? It said this, on the front, it said, live like you'll die tomorrow. On the back, it said, die knowing you'll live forever. That's a great way to look at life. John looked at life that way. He knew the Lamb of God that was going to take away the sins of the world would take his sins upon himself as well. And even if he died, which he did, he would live forever. Now, I'm over time this morning, so I don't have time to tell you the, the last chapter of John's life. It really reads like a, a daytime soap opera or, or a story out of 2020 or prime time, maybe even like a Game of Thrones episode of this Jewish politician who proclaimed himself king of the Jews. And he loved to listen to John, and he loved to hear him, but John confronted him about this marriage because he would go to his brother's house to stay overnight on his way to Rome, he met his brother's wife, fell in love with her, took her, got rid of his own wife. This woman got rid of his brother as her husband. And John the Baptist said, what you're doing is a sin. You're the one that's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the people. And look what you're doing. And, and even though this man, Herod, loved to listen to John, he, he put him in prison to shut him up. But he wasn't willing to kill him. Herodias, she hated John. She would do anything she could to end his life. And one day her daughter was dancing provocatively before this great party, this great celebration. And in, in Mark 6, 22, this creepy old man 
uh, says to this young woman, ask me anything you like. I'll give it to you. He even vowed, I'll give you whatever you ask up to half of my kingdom. Isn't it amazing how common sense goes out the window? Uh, the, the time that we're out of control in our appetites, we say stupid things. And she went out and she said to her mom, did you hear him? I mean, what, what should I ask for? And she said, why don't you go ahead and ask for the head of John the Baptist? I mean, how sick is that? The girl hurries back to the king and tells him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. And the king deeply regretted what he'd said because he'd made the vow in front of his party guest. and He couldn't refuse her, so immediately he sends an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and to bring it to her. The soldier beheads John in prison, brings his head upon a tray, and gives it to the girl who takes it to her mother. I mean, how dark and, and sick is that? And the scriptures say when John's disciples heard what had happened, they came and collected his body and they buried it in his tomb. And, and you might say, great way to end a sermon, Bill. I mean, what, what, I want to be seen as great in God's eyes, and that's how it ends? Well, it appears to be a dark ending. But when John's disciples came to receive John's body, John wasn't there. You see, he'd, he'd already slipped out of his sandals and stepped into his heavenly robes. He knew that to live is Christ, as Paul would say, and to die is gain. You see, when you and I can condi- unconditionally trust God, when we could live like we're going to die tomorrow, we can die knowing we're going to live forever. And that same hope, it lets me live now. It lets me take, take risks because I know God's faithful. It lets me plan big for my family and for my church family because God is wonderful and he's in control all the way to the end. And you know what? If you and I do these things, not to be called great, but to know that God would turn toward a man and say, there's no one born of woman greater than John. What if because of what you walk out of here choosing to be and do today, 5, 10, 15 years from now, somebody looks at your life and says, wow, that's a pair of flip-flops I'd like to slide into. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want to pray for you, and maybe today it's time to kick off your shoes. It may be time to put on uh, John's shoes and say, that's a life that I want to live. Because I, I've been living for me and I haven't been stepping down and lifting up. And, and that's, that's where I need to follow Christ. Maybe you need to give him your life for the first time. Maybe you need to place your membership here, whatever it is. I want you to come when we sing our song in a moment. But before you do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the boldness and the faith, the uniqueness of a man like John. He's just one more example of how every one of us We're one-of-a-kind designs. And though we may not like ourselves, we may not love ourselves, Father, we need to actually see ourselves the way you do. You made us in your image. You're something special about every one of us. And then, Father, you considered us worthwhile enough. You sent your one and only Son to die for us. I have to believe you would never have done that if there was nothing redeemable about us, 
if there was nothing that you didn't see within us that would bring you honor and glory and praise. Father, for those that know you well this morning, I just pray that as they choose to step down and lift up, as they choose to be humble, Father, as they choose to every day place their ego on the altar for you and follow you, that, Lord, they'll draw closer to you and fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Father, for those that come in today and they need a new pair of shoes, they need the gift of your salvation, would you help them to see that they are lovable, that, Father, they are not beyond salvation, that your arm is not too short to save, that everything you did was not just for your glory, but it was so that they might know that you're close, that you desire a relationship with them, and nothing in this world compares to it. So, Lord, just impress upon us what you will for us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.